Coming up on your favorite podcast, we're going to try this again. Last week, we tried to do the Peak Cinema Jurassic Park podcast, and we had all kinds of technical difficulties. So we decided to scrap it. We're going to start anew. We're going to try it again, and we're going to do it here tonight on the pod in its entirety. Lauren, Ryan, me, Peak Cinema, Jurassic Park, episode 201 of the pod, I hope you're in for the long haul with us tonight. It has uh, snowed pretty substantially here in the Twin Cities area, but the snow has gone uh, and has has moved on, and we have clear skies but cold weather here. So we're still hanging out, still kind of hunkered down, but we're going to do our thing here tonight on the podcast. So we hope you sit back and enjoy Peak Cinema. Lauren, Ryan, me, Jurassic Park, next on the pod. Hey, hey, it's the Tim Anderson Podcast. I'm Tim. That is my buddy Rhino over there for the second time this week. Rhino, good to see you. Howdy, howdy. And of course, she's going to have to unmute her mic, but we're happy to have her back. Uh, The great, the lovely, talented Lauren Nelson Kane Lowe in the house tonight. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I am uh, ready to chat about this movie because uh, we've tried doing this once and it didn't work. Yeah, we did. You know, full disclosure, we tried to record this podcast a week ago. We really did. We gave it an earnest, honest effort about 40 minutes into the podcast. It just everything just decided that was it. Just no longer wanted to work. Uh, everything broke down and uh, broke down on on Lauren's end, Ryan's end, my end. Ryan was swearing at his computer before the pod started. Um, I ended up having to buy Lauren a new laptop. Had to buy Lauren a new laptop. The things Probably we time. do, the things we do to produce content <laughs> for this podcast, for this show is just incredible. So um, this was originally going to be episode uh, 199 or 200 and now it's officially episode 201 here of the podcast so we've had a couple since then but we're happy to start the next 200 with a peak cinema we've done about 30 of them we want you to know too if you want to listen to some of the movie stuff that we've talked about on this podcast you want to dig through the archive uh there's a couple easy ways to do that i think spotify has our full library but if nothing else you can go to timpodcast.podbean.com and if you go there you'll find the entire archive of the Tim Anderson podcast, all 200 episodes. Oh, boy, to listen to there. Uh, All the football podcasts with Ryan and Zach, all of the golf pods with Ty, and, of course, all of the peak cinemas with Lowe and Ryan, which means every ice cream sandwich, uh, every, (laughs) uh, every root beer drank, everything on this podcast covered is that um, what I'm known for around here? I thought I was the curmudgeon. You're a little bit of a curmudgeon, too. Um, you can do two things. Yeah, I think you can multitask. I don't think there's a problem with that. I think it's good. Okay, fine. And then, on top of it, uh, you know, you get... and you, Ryan has transformed so much uh, in the last uh, couple of years. He went from, you know, not a father to a father. Now he's all tatted up. His hair's longer. He's trying to get a full beard going. Like... The transformation of Ryan in the last two years is really quite staggering. Just thought I'd throw that out there. The, the only one who could really speak to that other than you is my wife, who is sitting across from you on, the, on my screen here. So That's true. Um, yeah. No, I, I, on the, I mean, the hair was really the start of it. You know, I, I had the kind of shaved sides look going. 
and I don't think I've cut it. I shaved it all off on March 20th, like 2020 or May 20th, yes. 2020. Yeah. And um, it was an anniversary gift to my wife and she hated it. So I haven't <laughs> stopped growing it since. I, <laughs> not, not even. It was like, I can't. God, I don't even remember what I said to you. I just said, like, I, I wasn't a fan of your hair at that time. And you were like, okay. And then you went into the bathroom and you shaved your head. You, a, something a totally normal person does. Um, we had been we had been in, in pandemic lockdown for two months and the sillies were starting to set in. Something had to give, man. Uh, something had to and, give at that time. The, I'm with you. The hair just had to go. So... It was it was hit the reset button on the old lettuce, and uh, <laughs> and just uh, let her fly with the razor there. So it seemed like you know, an appropriate I, response. I you know it, it sure. Um, I I appreciate it now though. I mean, you have really stuck it out. Is it so getting to a place, though, for you, Lauren, where it's a little unruly? Like, even for you, like, are you at that place now where you're like, I don't need this Viking in front of me every day or no? No, I feel like it. Fi- you know what it is? It's like it fits him. You know, it, you, yeah. you got to it, it only works. This kind of style of hair is not like my thing or for everyone. It fits him very well. So it makes more sense than when he was like doing the high and tight thing every day of his life. It drove me insane. That, so that high, I hate. High school was a rough time for Ryan's fashion. Kind of missed the yeah. high and tight. I'll be really honest with you. I kind of liked it. That was, that was just me. That's me. I'm old school. I'm old fashioned that way. Tim also wants me clean shaven because I look 15 when I'm clean shaven. And when I'm young, that means Tim is young. So Tim feels better about <laughs> it. I mean, look, it's a it's a bird's nest is what you have going on right now. It's it's just it, something's got to give on it is all I'm saying. Look, you and my wife are going to have to fight this out. I'll be here eating my juju cherry coins. <laughs> look, I used to think the same. I used to be like, I like you clean shaven. That is why he is clean shaven at our wedding. But I, I again, I appreciate this more. The... I have had to fight a little harder for the uh, for the beard to exist, um, yes. but you know it's. I'm glad I waited because I think the whole the whole like thing now it works. I want his hair to get longer. I want him to have like Jason Momoa length hair. Oh come on! Because I think that not. would look. I think that would look really good on him. I, I think that would great. look great. Plus, I get and to as Tim mentioned, as Tim mentioned, I have I've got all the tats now. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of got a little Aquaman thing. He's like a like an overweight Aquaman thing is what he's kind of got going right now, which <laughs> well, is not I not, not for me. I had my a couple of my speech kids this year when I started there. I had my hair down for the first time, and like you kind of look like Jason Momoa. I said, <laughs> "Don't ever tell him that because that's an insult." Yeah, but uh, <laughs> the uh, I said I, I look like I look like if Aquaman. Eight Mira, like if if Stop. if that if if Aquaman like ate the lead singer of Smash Mouth, that's like that's my vibe. The like, problem you have as Aquaman is that you might be too buoyant. Like you're you're unsinkable. <laughs> like you're, you you kind of sit at the you're like me. We sit at the surface. We're not anchors. We can't drop down. We're buoys. We've got we've got Aquaman and we've got the Titanic's iceberg. Yeah. 
Stop it. Come it's on. Where, but you're unsinkable. You're unsinkable. I'm, like uh, my superpower is, is blowing up like a whale carcass. You just call me bloat. That's my superhero <laughs> name. Just stop it, Jesus. <laughs> no. <laughs> you look, this is this is your style. I really appreciate it. When you feel confident looking a certain way, then that's the way you that's I, the way you should look. You I always look, like look best when you feel I look confident. like if he, I look like if human Shrek starred in Castaway. Oh, Stop calling yourself okay. human Shrek. <laughs> all right. That, yeah, we can, We got to put it. You, you've ran this. Now you've ran five of those and I enjoyed all of them, but you can't continue to just play that. <laughs> you can't. I, I can't too allow many. you. A, I can't allow you a sixth. I'm sorry. You got Tim, five. You Tim can't sitting have there, the one. Tim sitting there saying, I, you ain't wrong, but you're, you're going to have to stop anyway. It's, yeah. it's, you know, to, I, I love gotta, you too much and we're getting too close to the, too close to a vein here. Yeah. Now we're starting, it's starting to cut a little deep now. So we need to, we need to start, uh, just, we got to clean things up a little bit here on the pod. All right. Oh, fine. God, what a wild couple of days of weather. Uh, not really yesterday. Yesterday was garbage, but, uh, today was, we woke up to a lot of snow. And so we've been kind of camped out here, uh, the last couple of days. I certainly was feeling it this afternoon. I was like, I got to get out of here for a little while. got to go, had to go hang out. Uh, went to the Taco Bell for a while. Let me just say this. Um, I, th- I might be getting too old, Lauren, real quick. I might be, the fast food is starting to become a problem for me. Like I can't, I just can't enjoy it. <laughs> I, I was seriously had like half my crunch wrap and I was like, there's got to be more to life than this. And I can't be making these kind <laughs> of like life decisions when I'm eating Taco Bell. But there's a little part of me that's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like, I don't know if I can enjoy this the way I used to. And uh, I, I that's feel what's like happening to me. I feel like I'm not like anti fast food. I would say uh, I we have literally eaten McDonald's multiple times this week. It's been a weird week. Okay, um, yep. very but fair. very fair. Taco Taco Bell and the like. Um, if I'm eating them in the daylight, something has gone horribly wrong. They are <laughs> after 10 p.m. meals only. You know what I mean. After 10, I would argue if you're eating after 10, something's gone horribly wrong. I, I'm trying to cut down on a, that. That's been a standard practice of mine since, like, college. I can't. <laughs> can, I, can I divulge something to both of you? Uh-oh. I have, no. on multiple occasions, enjoyed a Taco Bell breakfast. Um, oh, babe. The steak steak breakfast crunch wrap is one of life's finest delicacies. I have not had it. Um, I'm sure it's delightful. It, it, it look, it's better than than I love Burger King's breakfast because I like the the croissant. Which well, stop? No, stop. But, that. Don't do but, that. No, here, it, it really is delicious. So really terrible. is delicious. Really is delicious. Um, the the sausage McMuffin's all right, right? Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. The breakfast crunch wrap, if you get the steak with the hash brown that you can get. Uh, alongside it and, and, a, and a bottle of orange juice, man, let me tell you, there's no better way to start a Saturday. I would argue there are many better ways. There are so many better ways to start a Saturday than with Taco Bell. That sounds like a horrible way no, that's to great. start the day. That's great. Are it's they awesome. open pre-speech tournament? Can you go they sh- there? They sure are. They are open uh, at 5 a.m. at my location. Um, early morning. Um, That's upsetting. I also they have I have that that Taco Bell Defy over here, 
where they've got like yeah. the yeah. the two level Taco Bell kitchen that you can mm-hmm. you know, speed order through and get out of yeah. there in thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, Still with you. Got to tell you, Tim. Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Is God, we got a long bus ride to Princeton this Saturday, so I'm gonna have to think about that. Uh, that's on the list. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about. It. All right, let's get to the actual pod stuff. Uh, and it's just it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. I'm just wondering if I'm starting to get old now. I'm like getting like hot flashes. It's like I'm going through like a male menopause or some kind of nonsense where I just can't function. Boy, you couldn't I, torture that phrase out of me. I just I can't get. I can't. <laughs> Listen, I can't, I can't eat anything. I can't, I, nothing, nothing tastes good anymore. Like nothing, uh, everything's too sweet. Like desserts the other day, I had a chocolate chip cookie and you'd have thought I was getting diabetes on the spot. Like all of a sudden I was getting jittery, <laughs> I, I have to ask, I got to ask you a question. Have you spoken to anybody about depression? Because it sounds like you're not getting as much joy out of things that used to bring you joy. <laughs> <sighs> I think I'm better now than I was three weeks ago. I I probably, yes, (laughs) yes, yes. I think it's just, I always feel like it's a phase, like a growing pain phase where you'll get to a certain point and you'll just realize, I don't know why I ever did that. Yeah. I don't know. I did it three weeks ago and I loved it, but I don't know why I ever did that. That feels dumb. You might be onto something. I'm, I'm sure I'll hit that soon if i'm being honest um but yeah it's um, I, yeah yeah it's it's very very scary to me it's very frustrating uh but i'm getting over it i'm getting through it i'm trying to like trying to like there i would like to be able to eat a crunch wrap again because i did enjoy those and i might the steak breakfast thing might be enough to get me back we'll see what happens uh let's talk about that but hey we're here to talk a movie so let's do it Let's go talk Jurassic Park. Cue John Williams, everybody. 1993. It's an all-star cast as far as in the in the movie, but also just an all-star around it. You get Spielberg. You got John Williams. You get a book from Michael Crichton. I mean, you got, I mean, it's just, you got all the pieces. You got all the pieces for what will make a wonderful movie uh, and it is still maybe the most watchable movie for me of all time. Yes. Like this might be the most watchable, rewatchable, always watchable film I've ever watched. How about you, Lauren? It's just so, it's just so good. It's one of those things that you, you know, I, I grew up with Jurassic Park um, and it's, you watch it when you're younger and it's this amazing spectacle, dinosaurs, blah, blah, blah. and then you watch it when you're a little bit older and you actually understand what the movie's about. And then you just watch it for fun. Like, it's just, I feel like you get a lot out of this movie. And even, even like this time watching it, I paid a little closer attention, obviously. And it was just like, oh man, this, this isn't just like fun dinosaur dinosaur mildly anti-capitalist movie like it's it's just so there are a lot of like really good scenes really amazing like acting scenes really great points being made that are still relevant now it's just such a good movie just from top to bottom i could watch it every day for the rest of my life and be satisfied i feel like i have watched it every day since 1993 i can't even can't even speak to it i've seen it so many times this movie got run and still does on TNT or TBS or USA, but you do feel like no matter when the movie is on or what time you get into it, 
like you're in the rest of the way. It doesn't matter where you pick the film up, which is, I think, like one of its real tributes is the fact that you can watch it 20 minutes in, 30 minutes in, you can get an hour into it. And then it doesn't matter where you are. You're like, okay, I'm good. I got an hour. I'm hanging out the rest of the way. I'm I'm with Dr. Grant and uh, Dr. Sattler the rest of the way. I'm on board. Uh, That's a tribute to this film. Ryan, you saw like 10 movies when you were younger. Is this one of the 10? (laughs) This is not one of the 10, Tim. Uh, So this movie is um, one of those ones that I think just kind of fell through the cracks for my family. Uh, It's, you know, it's not a family unfriendly movie, right? It's not ridiculously inappropriate. No, it's just not one we watched. Uh, and, and I don't I mean, know there why are dinosaurs, which might go against some of the religious I mean, principles that you guys, yeah, uh, people you know, die no. and are like mangled and stuff. Yeah, no, I don't think that's it. Cause you know, I saw Terminator, but the, uh, uh, <laughs> the thing is this, uh, the, uh, uh, the movie itself, I, I enjoy, uh, I think that the reason this fell into a, into a spot for my folks is because it, it was released in 1993. Uh, and, and they were new parents and it just, I don't think they ever saw it. Uh, so it was, good point. <laughs> you know, they, it was just one of those things that just fell into kind of a weird blind spot for my folks. You were born in 93, Ryan. I was born in 93. Lauren. 91. You were 91. Yeah. Oh, yeah Lauren was just, just, Lauren was just before the world series, right? <laughs> right before the, yeah. the Halloween yes. blizzard of 1991. Yes. So you were yeah. technically yeah, alive for it, but you didn't, um, you don't remember yeah, it. No, no, her dad and had her people, out there shoveling, but she doesn't remember it. People always <laughs> ask, ask me if I remember it, and then I have to remind them, no, no. Either you think I'm really old, which is an insult, or uh, you think that it happened five years ago, and it definitely did not. God, so you were um, not you were you were like six minutes old when Puckett hit the greatest home run in World Series history, and Jack Morris pitched the greatest game seven of all time. God damn it! Yes, I was ten. God, my life was good. I anyway, mean, yeah. here's what I liked about now. Here's Tim's fantasizing about Surge Cola now. Jesus Christ! Yeah, Surge Cola. <laughs> give me some Ecto Cooler High C. I mean, uh, that you know, existed e- when we were kids. Hang on. Do you know how Didn't much it? how much Ecto High High C cooler have you taken in your life, Ryan? Uh, I've had quite a bit. God uh, that damn, was, that shit was good. Uh, God damn, that was so good. Uh, I was I was old enough where I think it, it didn't go away until the the early two thousands. Yeah, my grandmother was still uh, stocking yeah. that in her fridge for the entire nineteen nineties. Yeah, so I, I'm like, I remember ninety eight. I probably had it because I I think I I gained consciousness in 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 ninety eight. <laughs> like I, that's my first memories. Uh, <laughs> He doesn't I, remember anything that happened prior to that. Five years old, doesn't know anything. Well, it's, I'm, I'm certain that there's memories there, but it's bits and pieces. But like the first, like uh, the time I can pinpoint later. The time I can pinpoint things is uh, well, we're not going to talk about that. The 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 the, the uh, first time I could really pinpoint things is '98. So there you go. Well, okay. Well, that's something. But anyway, here's what I'm saying for me. So like 12 years old to me, this movie 1993, especially really felt like I get that we were into the nineties for three years, but I still felt like 93, 92, 93 is when like the nineties sort of came into its own as a decade. And we started to see some of the new films. I think a lot of the traditional film elements stayed the same from like 90, 91, 92. You can watch point break in like 1991 or two and be like, that movie could have been made in 1987. 
doesn't matter. It's basically the same yeah. formulas, same movies, same whatever. Didn't change anything with the CGI. 90s also feel, 93 feels different because it's first year of the Clinton administration. You get yourself away from Reagan Bush. Johnny Carson has stopped hosting the night, the Tonight Show. Uh, you, you've got, things are new. Like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is one of the number one shows on TV. It's like, you know, things are new and things are different and things are very 90s, very colorful. And uh, this movie, I think, kind of emerges as this, hey, here's the new movie that's being made. Like this is, Going forward, this is what we're doing with CGI, with big budgets, yeah. with big action. We're going to get, you know, a, a cast that's deep. It's not going to be a, you know, we're still going to have your classic Sylvester Stallone movie or Schwarzenegger movie where we're building around one person. But we're also going to be doing a lot more of these where we're seven, eight, nine deep in the cast and get used to it. This is what we're going. This is the direction. I know it's. And and I was saying this while we were watching it is that this so this is one of the first, if not the first movie to really use uh, what we now know as CGI in uh, in throughout the entire movie. And knowing that, I mean, it's the effects are incredible, uh, not just for 1993. They're pretty freaking incredible. Like there are movies that are made a decade after this that are not as good. And uh, yeah. I, I, th- I think that that's part of what that alone could cement this movie into the canon. But on top of that, it's so well acted. It's so well directed. It's an incredible story. I mean, like Michael Crichton basically wrote this book and got it published and it got bought for movie rights like five seconds later. Yeah, you know, it, it's an it's an incredibly interesting story and and very layered and very deep and I think that's that that's why it's still so you know relevant, I guess. That's why it's still it still holds up. It you know? still does. There's not a lot of dated things. There's not a lot of things that you can watch in the movie and go, Ugh. other than, okay, they yeah. put a CD-ROM into the truck, you know, when they go on their tour. And it's like, okay, all right, yeah. there's that. That was the big. But, sh- but short of that, honestly, like, yeah. how, how many things can you look at and go, nah, you know, eh, eh, it doesn't work for me anymore. No, like, this is what makes Spielberg great, is that he's able yeah. to mix the animatronic to the CGI to the special. He's able to do all of that. You know, this is why Jaws, like to me, Spielberg should just only do these kinds of movies every, you know, whatever. He doesn't really do them anymore, but it's like, gosh, you know, like Jaws is a home run. Like Jaws is like still 50 years, 50 years on Jaws is still one of the five or 10 best movies ever made. And Jurassic Park comes in and it's, it's, it's the same idea. I know. I really miss when he did stuff like this. I don't not appreciate his like Oscar bait movies. I don't appreciate a lot of them, but you know, I'm sure I've heard the Fablemans is amazing. I haven't seen it yet, but this, these kinds of movies, they just like, I, they don't get made this well anymore. I don't want to say they don't get made anymore. They do. But they don't get made this well anymore. Jaws, Jurassic Park, big, bombastic, spectacle, monster, animal movies. They're not this good anymore. They suck. They suck hard. I completely agree. I I, I think this is also, 
uh, it's also some you very rarely do you find movies that are like universally accepted uh, that are mm-hmm. universally liked. I, I think if you talk to people, any walk of life, right? Any walk of life, any age, uh, they've seen it and they like it, right? It's not one of these polarizing films. Like Avatar has a polarization to it. Uh, there's yeah. There are people who just flat out say, nah, sorry, not for me. I'm out, right? And then there are some people who are even like that with movies like Titanic who are like, eh, I get it. You know, Titanic, everybody loves it. It's made billions of dollars, but eh, too syrupy, not real, not my thing. I'm out. This, I noticed you're naming a lot of James Cameron movies, by the way. Oh, boy, I, just, I can't believe I did that. No, but uh, totally by accident, <laughs> by the way. Totally by accident. Um, but it, we, I'm sure we could dig up some other examples, too. Like, even Star Wars isn't for everybody. Yeah. Like, there are people yeah. who are like, eh, you know, I'm out on the Star Wars stuff. I'm a Star Trek guy instead, or... Whatever that may be. Jurassic Park, I don't feel like has that. This movie, to me, has this like universal thing that binds everybody together, right? Everybody can get behind this movie to a certain extent. And it's, it's because of all of those elements. It's because it's a spectacle. And it's because it has an incredibly written screenplay and just amazing performances. I mean, like... We we tend to talk about uh, how Jeff Goldblum now is just kind of like a caricature of himself, but he's he's not in this movie. I mean, this is you could argue this is the this thing is that probably, made the caricature. <laughs> pro- probably, I mean, and this he's is, been a caricature this, of this movie ever since. Basically, yeah, but he's he's just this is probably one of my favorite performances of his like ever. And I, I, you tend to forget about that because it's every time I think about Jeff Goldblum in this movie, it's the scene where he is doing nothing and saying nothing. He's just shirtless. Um, and I don't know why he's shirtless. Um, I, still I can't always figure assumed, that out either. I always assumed it was because he had he. They were like mending a wound. No, the wound is nowhere near his chest. Um, he's just shirtless. But. There are some, he does has some really amazing scenes and is kind of a a pretty incredible voice of reason in this movie and I think I think that's what I also really appreciate about how this is done is that John Hammond is kind of this like Walt Disney style character he's just very excited for this idea and he had this idea and he gave it to people who knew what they were doing and they figured it out and he's just so excited for it. And he brings all these people in to show them, hey, like, I, I think you can help me market this because isn't this incredible? And they basically all look at him and go, absolutely not. This is horrendous what you've done. You know, the, the only person who doesn't say that to him is, is the lawyer who yes. is a piece of crap. <laughs> He's horrible. But it goes to show you, too, like what having yes men does to like innovative people like you love that. You love the fact that Hammond has this exuberance and he has this, you know, you got to think Hammond is going into it for the right reasons that here he is just thinking of an idea and he's got money and this is the stuff he wants to do, which I'm sure that. Many, 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 whether it's Bezos or Zuckerberg or Walt Disney or 
you start to name the uh, you know Elon Musk, you start to name these guys, and they want to come up with all these ideas. The problem is you just feel like they surround themselves with you know greedy corporate lawyers and yes men who tell them, yeah. great idea, boss. We can make a fortune off of this, right? And you don't have the people on the other side. That's the only difference between Hammond and those guys, I think, is that he at did, least invites those conversations. Yeah. Did somebody say anti-capitalism? Here's the thing. <laughs> the- Ryan's cue to come in. His theme music just went off, everybody. <laughs> so uh, this is actually an interesting concept because this movie's a kind of six critiques in one on, on different ideas like this. But this kind of falls into the myth of merit, right? Where it's we assume that uh, that Hammond, you know, if you were just meeting him, he's this genius, right? He put this together. This was his idea, and then you get it behind the scenes, and you realize, well, he, all he really did was put his name on it, and, and he didn't even front the money. He's got investors, right? He's got he's got help. It's it's just his show, right? So you know, obviously, Walt Disney is is. And as a character, like, like he's trying to portray in personality, but even Disney, you know, Disney did a lot of work to get the stuff off the ground, right? He, he did front a lot of the, a lot of the cash was his to begin, right? It was, he didn't have these kinds of investors like even Hammond has. I think the, the example of Elon Musk is even more comparable for me because he's not a genius and he can't see the problems with what it is that he's trying to do. Right, and he's he's trying to open it before it's ready, before they have the safeguards figured out. That when, you know, let's let's draw one to one comparison: uh, driverless control of a vehicle being released in beta in San Francisco and getting fifty one people killed, growing and breeding Velociraptors. When every every scientist who comes in and sees that and says that's a horrible idea, we should kill them and never do this again. And and. It's the same thing. You've got all these people in at Tesla who are saying, we're not ready to release this tech. People are going to die. People are going to get killed. And then they do. And you look at what happened with the Velociraptors and people die and people could get killed and they, they were warned. Right. So for me, it's the, the Disney comparison. I see it on the entertainment side of it where he's an entertainer and that's what he's trying to do. But in execution, it's very Elon Musk. Michael Crichton I wasn't thinking of Elon at the time, but there you could get I mean, the idea no. for sure. I don't ahead, I mean I don't dis- I don't disagree with that. I think that just speaks to the fact that like billionaires are billionaires. You know what I mean? Capitalists are capitalists. You know, it Either could rich. be Elon Musk, it could it could be Jeff Bezos, it could be fucking anybody. I it's so he's so obviously modeled after Walt Disney. There are even a couple of references in the film to uh to Disney. I think at one point Richard Attenborough says something like, "Oh, well, you know, even on the, at the first day of Disneyland, you know, things went completely awry. And then I think Jeff Goldblum looks at him and he says, yeah, but when Pirates of the Caribbean doesn't work, the animatronics don't eat the people. Um, and I, I think what I like about the comparison to Disney is that this is, this is the idea, right? He's, he's this big idea man. And then he kind of like delegates work to smarter, better people to make it happen and doesn't really think logistically about how difficult that's going to be, just that he will figure out how to make it happen for them. And um, in a scenario where, you know, 
the stakes are pretty low. You're just building a standard issue amusement park. I suppose that's fine, although it does it does mean that your employees are literally making the impossible happen for you. But in a scenario like this, you're not stopping to think about the danger that this actually poses, just that it'll be fun and I had a great idea. I think that's that's why I like the comparison to Disney. And I think that was Michael Crichton's intention uh, when when he wrote the book. I think he said that that was kind of who he had modeled it after. So it could be Disney. It could be Bezos. It could be Musk. It could be any number of millionaire billionaires because they're just kind of like that. It also like speaks to me of like just the difference between the 80s and 90s a little bit because the 80s you have – and of course this movie I think maybe could be a direct result of some of those 80s policies that allowed people to get rich, to have access, to have more than – you know to, to just build wealth, like ridiculous wealth to the wealth like that you see in the movie Wall Street, right, where Michael Douglas is Gordon Gecko. And, you know, they're talking about, hey, I could buy and sell you three times over. I'm going to buy this company and liquidate and take the golden parachute and all that. And what greed that creates, good. greed is good. We should absolutely do Wall Street, by the way. Uh, the But the idea of then that excess has got to go somewhere. Like it's one thing to just have all this wealth. It's another thing to actually like do something with the wealth. And that's where the 90s comes around where I think you start to see not so much about how do we accrue money. But like, how do we spend money? Uh, yeah. In movies like Jurassic Park is what you see, right? You see like, okay, we're going to create not just an amusement park. We're going three steps beyond that. Like now it's FU stuff. Like now we're getting yeah. into the real true FU money of the 1990s. And I think that's that's Hammond, right? Why create Disney World when you can create something even bigger? When you can create something that actually causes you to have your own island, Right. Yeah. It, it's just it's that's big time stuff. Right. That is next level F you money. It's not seedy. It's not gritty. 80s movies are dark and seedy and gritty. And this movie is colorful. It's bright. It's big. It's everything. Right. It's all of the stuff that shows you, hey, big paradigm shift here. We're going this direction in the 90s. This next 10 years is going to be all about this. Yeah. Absolutely. And what, but what I, I, what I would say I like about Jurassic Park versus maybe some other action movies that came out in the nineties is that it's not just about the spectacle. It's about this, this very, this very obvious anti-capitalist angle. Um, this kind of anti, you know, I don't want to say science angle, but you know what I mean? Like just because we can, doesn't mean we should. Um, that I think Michael Crichton's book is is pretty much mostly about. And it's just, I don't know how to put this. It is just as relevant then coming directly out of the 80s as it is now. And it will continue to be relevant so long as we live in a capitalist society, which is probably why it holds up so well. You know, aside, you right. from, the, aside from the effects of the dinosaurs, like I watched this movie... So much more, so many more times in my life than I've ever seen, like Independence Day. Hundred you know? percent. Yep. And those movies feel like they're in a time capsule. Yeah, Independence yeah. Day was huge, but it feels like it's permanently like lodged. Yes. In this time, it's, in this capsule of nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight, and that's it. 
it's very there are there's a certain type of film that you can just tell was made before 9/11 and I could talk about that for like a million years but it's uh Jurassic Park doesn't feel like one of those. It feels like I know it was made in 1993. It feels like it could have been made pretty much whenever. Yeah, which we can and talk about maybe up, I think. maybe that's why the other Jurassic Parks just don't just fall short of this one because they can't get to this idea. Uh, you know, Jurassic yeah. World was fine. I didn't hate Jurassic World, but by and large, most of these movies, you know, haven't been all that good. And it's just because we've got this great story that could have stood on its own and we were fine. Yeah. I think, I think that's the problem I have with any of the Jurassic Park sequels, including Jurassic World's world, whatever they are. Um, this movie should have just existed by itself. And the very nature that there are sequels feels antithetical to what this movie is about. Um, and But also in some ways it's... The Jurassic World sequels for existing, this... In the Jurassic World sequels, the ID, the the whole mythos is that Jurassic Park existed and was shut down because it didn't work. And they're trying to make it work again, and it does. It fundamentally works. People are paying to go to this park. And even though they have figured out how to make this insane, incredibly dangerous idea work without people getting injured or hurt or killed, they still need to go farther. And I think that that's a really interesting idea that was executed so poorly, so poorly. And I wish it wasn't. I wish that it was actually good, but it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's get to some background info and then we'll start talking about characters and favorite scenes and things like that. Uh, Once again, Box Office Mojo, thanks to that, they give us the top Movies of 1993. Got to give these to you. This was a banner year for films. Banner. Huge. Gigantic. Uh, Coming out swinging on the first year of the Clinton administration. Uh, I don't know. There's no correlation to that. I'm just going with it. Just going with it. (laughs) Ryan, here we go. You ready for your top 10? Sure. Number one is Jurassic Park. In the United States alone, $338 million in the first run gross. Almost $339 million. I mean, if we did that to whatever the inflation number is today, I have no idea what that number is, but it's off the charts. Uh, the Fugitive. There you go. You do that. The Fugitive, number two. How much did you say it was? $338,929,000. Okay. So basically almost $339 million in 1993. We're going to get this number here. Are you looking it oh. up right now? Trying to. Ryan, Ryan's doing the math right now. Here we go. I'll keep going, though. The Fugitive is number two at $176 million. Literally, Jurassic Park doubles The Fugitive at number two. The Firm at number three, Tom Cruise. Sleepless in Seattle, Tom Hanks. Robin Williams, Mrs. Doubtfire, number five. Uh, so just so sorry, just so that we're on the, on the same page here. I have... Uh, 684 million. So basically doubles. Yeah. Today. Oh, I have, I have almost $700 million. That's, that's yeah, that's, cool. yeah. that's, yeah, that's huge. Man, that's, that's 700 million. That is gigantic money. Wow. Um, 
So Mrs. Doubtfire is five, 109 million. Indecent Proposal, Robert Redford, that's 106 million. In the Line of Fire, 102 million. That's Clint Eastwood, number seven. Aladdin, that's Disney, number at uh, number eight, 99 million. Cliffhanger, that's Stallone, 84 million. And number 10, A Few Good Men. Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson. So Cruise has two in the top 10, but you can see big names. Jurassic Park's the only one that has this ensemble. It's not like a one act. It's not a Stallone movie, right? It's an ensemble movie with a lot of, I wouldn't call them, they're not A actors. They're like B act. They're like B listers, right? Sam Neill, I would never call him a, an A lister. Goldblum, I'm not sure he's an A lister. Laura Dern, but I would say they were solid B, B plus type, and and especially, and we had a, especially yeah. at this time, I don't think. I think I would consider Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum a listers now, um, but I, I don't think in 1993, it's not like they were unknown, but they certainly weren't Brad Pitt or something. You could see the strategy back then, though. Get a big name guy, and just roll yeah. with that. Right. Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Robin Williams, Robert Redford, Clint Eastwood, all big time have big time movies in that year of 1993. Like, just just, get a horse. Let's ride it. I just want to point out just real quick. So we said it was almost 700 million for the top of the box office in 1993. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good numbers. I mean, it's what look at if you want to know why these kinds of movies don't get made anymore. And we're, we're constantly doing comic book movies. I mean, Avengers Endgame pulled in almost $3 billion. Yeah. The first Avengers movie in 2012 was $1.5 billion. Yep. Right? So, I mean, what, we're, what we've seen now is this major culture shift, right? Where we're not, making, just, we're not making these kinds of movies anymore. And they're certainly not doing well when they are getting made. They're not, the, they're not doing those kinds of numbers. The problem is, is it's the, yeah. the, the Marvel movies are going to be the thing that kills the movie theater. Like, because people are just going to be like, if that's literally the only choice I have to go to the movies, I'm out. I, I argue the opposite. And I don't, and I'm not saying this isn't a problem. It's the only thing keeping them alive. Why the fuck would I leave my house, get a babysitter, pay 20 bucks just to sit in a seat in, in darkness alone to see Tar? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. Like, I, I... And I love I love movies. That's why we do this. I would be more than happy to go do that. But like logistically and financially, it's difficult to go see every movie that's currently nominated for an Oscar. You I, know, I, also I only think, go to the movies now for big spectacle things. Yeah, I get that. I also right. think that these kinds of movies are going to end up being what studios use to finance their smaller studios. Right, and those studios yeah. are going to keep the small independent movie theaters alive. Uh, things like the what's that, the, the Lagoon Theater in Minneapolis, like that. Those kinds of theaters are what are going to be the beneficiaries of the big theaters like AMC showing things like like Endgame, right? Because yeah. when you when you're making, if you can pull billions of dollars in uh, in 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 revenue as as a studio that can get dispersed to other things that aren't going to make as much money but are more of a niche thing that can make money from groups of people who don't want to go watch avengers movies right so that it it creates it creates almost this sort of cult thing where it flips it's on it flips it on its head where the independent movies get made because of 
Marvel movies kind of bankrolling them. I also think there's this big push right now to do what you can to go back to the movie theater and and keep that industry alive because there are movies like A24 has now is now a, a production company that is very well known for like putting out these weird niche indies that are that like I do want to see in theaters, you know? I, I wish I, I had the opportunity to watch everything everywhere all at once in a theater because it's it's this incredible spectacle. And there are several A24 movies that I have seen that way. And, you know, I, I love the theater experience. And I think I think there's this big push to go to try to go as often as you can. But the problem is, is, you know movie theaters cost money. You know, I used, I used to be able to go like three times a month to see whatever the hell I wanted. And it, that's just not possible anymore. I mean, like the, the amount of work that Ryan and I had to do to, to coordinate going to see Quantumania tomorrow, not even when it came out is, is astonishing. It's just, it's expensive and it's hard. It's difficult to get to. And it's the only movies that people are going to, especially because a lot of things are available digitally. Now, the only things people are going to go to the movie theaters to see are big spectacle films or, or something of that nature. How about I mean, this that's, idea? I think that's just the world we live in now. Ryan, Lauren, what about this idea? Why not let the movie theaters become, it's almost like they got to start a new niche, Right. Uh, like maybe they need to be what like video cassettes used to be in the eighties and nineties. Like, let's just run it back. Like why I would go see Jurassic park in the theater tomorrow. Like, honestly, if they doing some of that too, they do some of that. I think they should do that all the time. Like they should say like, Hey, we are running back in the month of June this year, X, Y, and Z go see it. I, I think if you're the movie theaters, there are two things you need to lean into to save yourself and it's luxury and nostalgia. And the, 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 the whole thing is right. That kids are streaming things. They're not going to the movies, right? This is, it used to be that it was teenagers that would go out and see all this stuff. Right. And now it's people like us who just remember being teenagers and going and seeing stuff. And, and we're the ones that want to go out. Kids are trying to stream this stuff. Yeah. Right? They don't. They don't want to spend the money and go out and, and see a movie when they can. They can get it for free four months later on streaming, right? I, you know, they're all sharing passwords and stuff, so it, you know that doesn't really matter to them. So what you got to do? Got to can't vape in the theater. I mean, you can't do anything uh, anymore. You, you have to make it a luxury experience. And some 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 are trying are starting to figure this out with you know the the kind of the, the alcohol getting served at at movie theaters and and you know making it a twenty one plus experience. But I think if you lean into that. And, and you make it more nostalgic. So even if you did like a, uh, you know, like a, a dinner theater sort of thing where you could have like an actual nice restaurant and you could sit and watch this movie on this big screen and have this big experience, that to me seems like it would be more successful today than even it was when, when dinner theaters were, po- were, were popular. Because now you're, now you're tapping into this nostalgia market and making it a, a luxury, a reason for people to go out rather than just for a couple hours at a time. I get that. I also just think logistically, if you if you did what Tim, what you're suggesting is like, you know, put put older movies on the on the big screen. 
you could charge less for them. I mean, like movie theaters don't really make their money off of ticket sales. Those go to the, you know, production companies and stuff. Uh, they make their money on concessions. So, you know, it, if you charge a little bit less for those and you continue charging what you charge for concessions, then you're going to get teenagers back who are bored on, on during the summer and they have 20 bucks in their pocket and they can come and do that. You know, yeah. advertise I, locally and just say like, hey, we're running this for the Halloween season. We're running these movies yeah. for this season and just lean in to the old school. I think it would kill. I really do. I think it would be really successful for them. And I'd like to I'd like to see them maybe consider that. I don't know. Uh, let's give you some background on the film, too, before we get into the actual film. We've been talking 47 minutes here. Jesus Christ. Anyway, uh, keeping it going. 1993, Steven Spielberg directed it. Spielberg's red hot. Uh, at this time and his career itself is red hot. I mean, let me just, uh, some of the films that he's done at that point, like he just did hook prior to this. He had gone on a run with, uh, you know, he did obviously ET in the eighties. That doesn't really quite count, but like Indiana Jones, last crusade color purple in 1985. He does hook in 91 Jurassic park. And then after Jurassic park, he does Schindler's list. He does the lost world, Amistad saving private Ryan. Jesus. That is a run. Uh, that is a run. Not to, not, and we got to also remember that he did Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark and all those other films uh, on our way up. I, you so know, he was running. You know what I found out? So I was doing, I was trying to find some trivia for this movie. Two things. One, he was working on, I think, post production for ER and then, yeah. and then read, heard about this book immediately bought the rights, made the movie, and then went back to finish up post-production on ER. Meanwhile, when he is overseeing post-production for Jurassic Park, he is actively directing Schindler's List. Yeah. Take a day off, man. The guy was making, well, he was red hot. Everything he touched turned to like, gold. I get it. Jesus, that's crazy. I mean, we're, I, we're talking we're talking about what might be the greatest run in film history as a director here. Outside yeah. of a few, st- outside of a few stinkers here, right? Just a couple of them, like I mean, what what would we consider a, a, a flop? Well, nine, here for him? 1941 was terrible. 1941 is really bad. Yeah, it's not good. The rest of these are the the worst of them. Are yeah, they're pretty. The, they're all right. The you terminal know? is probably the worst one. Terminal sucks. It's terrible. I mean, and, and what I year thought, was that? That was that was like 2001. That's yeah, that's four, yeah. That, that's the end of the run here, right? Yeah, he's like, done Catch Me If You Can. Like he was doing all those really, you know, he was still rolling in the late 90s, early 2000s. Still and, rolling. And, and even then, you've got flashes here where you get, you know, Munich and the Adventures of Tintin and War Horse and Lincoln and Bridge of Spies. You know, these are these are all again just like the Post. The Post is an amazing movie. I love that movie, and. Like the, we are, we are in, still in with with a couple of breaks here. Yeah. Another Spielberg run. Yes. So it's yeah, pretty incredible. Yeah, he just he just did West Side Story, which I have some personal feelings about, but I guess people liked. And um, you're um, alone. And, you're not and, alone on that. One. And yeah. Um, and I am hearing just incredible things about the Fablemans. I'm like kind of dying to see it. Uh, both from like from critics, from viewers, from other filmmakers who just say it's, it's one of his best. So I feel Mm -hmm. like he just, I'm not going to say he can't make a stinker. He, he can, but overwhelmingly probably one of the most 
prolific, amazing directors in Nine, film history. hundred percent. Mount Rushmore, probably yeah. for sure. 91% oh, on wow. Rotten Tomatoes. 91%. That's a really good score. Even 20 years later, that's our yeah. 30 years later. It's a pretty incredible score. Roger Ebert liked it. Didn't love it. Gave it three out of four. Uh, but he had some qualms, but still gave it a thumbs up at the end. Uh, Casting Couch, it's one of our favorite segments that we like to do here on the pod. Uh, People who almost got the parts. Uh, Harrison Ford and William Hurt all were considered for Dr. Grant. They went with Sam Neill instead. Could you imagine? Harrison Ford, though, as Grant, I could get behind it. I could. But then it's a Harrison Ford film. Yeah. I wonder if that's why they strayed away from it. Or maybe just Harrison Ford didn't want to do it. He seems like the kind of guy who wouldn't want to. Because then he would say, hang on, didn't I just do this as Indiana Jones? Don't I look too much like yeah. Indiana Jones to do this? Yeah, it might be. And he was doing The Fugitive. So maybe that one, maybe that worked out well for him. He did The Fugitive. Yeah. And yeah, William Hurt, I'm out on that one. That one doesn't do anything for me. Now, this is what's interesting for Dr. Statler, because this is going to get into Ryan's thing, his hang-up, um, his hall pass, if you will. Uh, <laughs> uh, Robin Wright, Gwyneth Paltrow, Helen Hunt, all up oh, for wow. the part of Dr. Statler. I don't hate I any all- of those three, to be really honest with you. Although Paltrow no. might have been too young for this at that time. But you know what? How old was Gwyneth Paltrow? Because Laura Dern is 26 in this movie. Yeah, I got to think Paltrow is probably maybe the same. Maybe. Maybe a little she younger. really the same age? But Dern plays looks older. She might have been 26, but Dern could pass at 33. She could pass yeah. for 33, 34 in the movie easily. Laura Dern can do whatever yeah. she wants. Let's be really clear. Well, I can't believe we away. made it this long <laughs> without you obsessing over Laura Dern. I have it in my notes, by the way. When she when she showed up on screen for the very first time, I said I give it five to ten minutes after Laura Dern's introduction before Ryan talks about how unbelievably hot she is. Yes. And then like two bullet points down, I said only took three minutes for Ryan when to say she, Laura Dern is a special kind of fine. It's when she gets out of the, uh, it's when she gets into the shorts. I mean, that's when things start to get to the next <laughs> level for Rhino. I mean, <laughs> those, brother, those brother. oversized cuffed shorts, <laughs> yes. every man's dream. <laughs> Ooh, hang on, she, boys. She could be wearing a paper bag. Wouldn't care. That woman, that woman is, is a special kind of fine. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'd have gotten behind Robin Wright. I I I'd Robin gotten Wright behind her. Made perfect sense. Yeah. Total sense. I would have loved her. I think I yeah. think Robin Wright's beautiful. I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan. And uh we could have had a I'm, think of Robin Wright's run of she goes from Buttercup to Dr. Statler to Jenny Gump in like the span of yeah. six, seven years. That's that's not a bad uh three, uh, top three. I was, I also think she has the same thing that Laura Dern has, which is that it's not like they look old per se. They just look mature. Like Gwyneth Paltrow was 26 and probably looked 26. You know what I mean? And Robin Wright and, and Laura Dern have this kind of like, just very like mature face. I don't know how to describe it. It's not like they're yeah. covered in wrinkles or something. They just No, and Helen Hunt gets gets her role as Dr. Statler when she does the um or Dr. Sattler uh when um she gets Twister. 
like two, three years later. Yeah. Like three years later, yeah. she gets Twister, and it's basically the same character. Uh, just instead of chasing dinosaurs, she's chasing tornadoes uh, in another film we should absolutely review One on of this my podcast. Movies of all time. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I haven't seen Twister in forever, though. Twister fun. is so damn watchable. It's ridiculous. And it's not even that great, but I watch the hell out of that movie. But anyway, <laughs> Every time. Um, for Hammond, only other name brought up for Hammond that I could find, Sean Connery. Sean Connery oh, that makes for sense Hammond. You on board with that? I would have gotten on board with Sean Connery. I, I think, think I still sense. go. I still go Attenborough. Yeah. Yeah. I think Sean Connery is a little more, a little too um, evil. Imaginely. Yeah. He would come across more of a villain than me. Evil. Yeah, he yeah, would have came across. Yeah. He would have slapped Doctor Sattler for daring to challenge him, like he did James, like when he was James Bond. You know, he's talked about that many times. Like, <laughs> hey, sometimes you got to slap a woman. You know, he's been very clear about that in his days. So uh, that's James Bond. I mean, that's Sean Connery for you. I can't uh, rest his soul. Yeah, rest his soul. Yeah, I definitely. Richard Attenborough was definitely the right. Right Attenborough, Attenborough has the grandfatherly charm that you sort of need—the jolly, yeah. like naive. You want I mean, him- it for the right reasons. Yes. You want him to be likable. If if the illusion is Walt Disney, you want to still like him. You want you want him to be this, like you said, like a grandfatherly figure. A little bit. It's, Here's the one that's going to – go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to say you want to look at him and say, you know, you don't want to call him a villain. You want to call him a fool, right? Kind of, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the, that's the tone. If he's, if he's too stern, if he's too harsh, it's villain. It's if he's kind, if he's if he's motivated purely, which he's not right. When we get down to it, he's motivated by money. He says it's his grandkids, but we know why he's doing this. Yep. You know, it's he's he is a villain, but he's a villain with a facade. So, Ryan, I can't talk you into Robin Wright over Laura Dern. Look, couldn't talk um, you into that. I will you couldn't you can talk, but it. <laughs> No, but nothing. Uh, no dice is what you're saying. I got nothing on that one. I, I got to tell you, Lord Dern's like top five for me all time. You're not. You're not gonna move me off of Lord Dern. Not uh, she's. Uh, there's so okay. There's here's very, the one. Very few that could. This is the one that I really want you to take a second and think about and let this process a little bit. For Ian Malcolm, 1993. You got to consider how hot this actor is. Jim Carrey no, is, was God. considered for the role of Ian Malcolm. No, this is Dumb and Dumber, God. Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura, The Mask. Like, he's red hot. And so, certainly, they had to make a phone call and be told no by Jim Carrey. I, this is so not... And I think that great that Jim Carrey is also, like, an amazing dramatic actor. So, that isn't to say that he's not. But, like, this part is so uniquely Jeff Goldblum. I don't... I, I can't even picture... And Jim Carrey in 1993, like... Peak comedy, Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey, that's who they wanted for this. Like uh, chaos in, theory in fairness, professor yep. kind of hits on Ellie. Like in in fairness here. What? Uh this was before he had done Ace Ventura. No, this is after. He did Ace Ventura like ninety two, yeah. didn't he? Ace Ventura's ninety four. No, because oh, really? he did Dumb and Dumber in ninety three, didn't he? Uh I, he didn't do anything in nineteen ninety three. So Dumb he's on living colors. Dumb and Dumber's Dumb and Dumber Dumb has got to be before this. Dumb and Dumber's ninety four. So he, in ninety four, he did Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. So he's not even there yet, is what you're saying. He's right. in front this, of this. This could have changed the course of his entire okay. career. Yeah. So he's okay, so in this living is colors. In fire color. Marshall Bill. Yeah. yeah. He's. Yep. Oh my God. So Still. this is this is before he really <laughs> blew up. 
I mean, he did Earth Girls Are Easy and Once Bitten in like the 90s with Jeff Goldblum, by the way, and Earth Girls Are Easy. Terrible yeah. film. Really so the, the, the movies that he's done to this point, I mean, he did, he did Once Bitten in 85. Right. And, yep. and he's done, he's done some, some random TV spots and stuff. He did the Deadpool in 88. Uh, Earth Girls are easy in 88, same year. Uh, but he really hasn't done anything other than those. Right. And he's, he's still in a living getting, color. Yep. He's, he's that's yeah, where he's at. He's, yeah. His credit is not even Jim Carrey. It's James Carrey at this point. Yep. James Carrey in living color. Yep. hundred percent. I mean, wow. I still, I thought even, this was even, right uh, even still, I just can't. I can't picture. But you think about I've think seen, about how that would have changed his career, like the road not taken, right? Like that. Yeah. The the implications I, that that has on Hollywood and the zeitgeist moving forward through the entire. Yeah, like, 1990s. how does he market correct Jeff Goldblum from that? Like Jeff Goldblum may never work in this town again if he doesn't get Ian Malcolm. Like he I fades. would. Yeah, I would argue that that would be bad. <laughs> that would be bad for both of them. I don't think that I think that Jim Carrey starring in in those three comedies in 1994 back to back to back were incredibly good for him and I don't think he would have garnered the same attention from Jurassic Park the way that Jeff Goldblum did because there's like a special sauce that Jeff Goldblum has in this role. Is there a world where Jeff Goldblum's Ace Ventura? Not written on paper. Is there a world no. where Jeff Goldblum is Ace Ventura though, or, or he's like Lloyd Christmas and Dumb- well, let's let's butterfly effect this oh for God, a second. No. What who is who is the one that's playing who's pl- getting those parts then? If it's not if it's not uh, yeah, if it's not Jim, Jim Carrey, Carrey, whose career takes off as a result of this? Like, how does this pan? How does this pan out? Do those movies even no get idea. made? Does Chris Farley no, get can- knocked out of Saturday Night Live earlier to go play in movies like Dumb and Dumber? Because here's the thing. I think anybody probably could have done Dumb and Dumber. I hate that movie. But Wow. Um, oh, hang on now. Whoa. Hang don't on. Get her started. Don't get us started. We'll be here for another hour. That's a that's another conversation for another time. We've already been talking for like an We're hour. We're doing that um, podcast too. Oh, God. I hate that movie. Um, Ace Ventura and The Mask. It's like so, again, so uniquely Jim Carrey. You Ace Ventura especially is like, <laughs> it's like so freaking ridiculous it doesn't make sense without the type of actor jim carrey is i don't it's not just comedic acting it's him. okay so i i have to be, i we're not doing this movie but i have to tell you who the alternate casting was for ace ventura okay okay so just ripple effect this they originally approached rick moranis to take the role <laughs> oh my god no and, oh, come on, and god. rick moranis turned them down God bless right. Rick. Oh God, a Rick! Mur- I could have got behind that. I think I could have. It would have been different, but I think I'd have gotten behind it. I, I'm so, nowhere near behind that. Can you imagine the 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 sliding glass door scene with Rick fucking Moranis? Yes, I can. Now I can. No. Yes. No, that's awful. Oh, you, that's awful. Only only if in Pet Detective, uh, the the butler, the the, the rich guy is uh is played by Harold Ramis. Uh so <laughs> that would be a fun movie. Uh so then they considered casting oh my god. Judd Nelson so far off. or Alan Rickman. <laughs> uh, what? What? <laughs> 
Alan Rickman as Ace. Yes. What? Yes. Dude, what was this movie? What was David, this movie? What were they trying David to do? Alan, David Allen Greer yep, also it, turned down Living Ace color, Ventura. Living color guy makes total sense. Makes they total also sense. considered changing Ace Ventura to be female and casting Whoopi Goldberg. Ooh, I hate, I hate all of this so much. I hate it so much, you guys. Oh. We dodged so many bullets. Whoa, man! I don't that that movie would have been. I I'm convinced that this movie had not been written when they tried to cast if, people. If this movie got made with Judd Nelson as, or Alan Rickman Judd or Whoopi Goldberg Nelson. or Whoopi Goldberg as as Ace Ventura, we would be in World War Three. All right, it, it would have happened. You, there, the, the butterfly effect would have been there would be nuclear war. It would have been catastrophic. Clinton would have lost his reelection. Yeah, like it's Bob, <laughs> we've been talking about President Dole in '96. I mean, it's Thunderdome. The whole, we are we were two seconds from Thunderdome had Jim, Jim Carrey gotten the part of Ian Malcolm. Good God! Wow, we got to we got to move on because we we're going down. We got to get this has gotten go. dark enough. Whew, Jesus Christ. Uh, the John Williams score, obviously. John Williams, epic. This is an epic theme. We yes. have to throw we that out there as well. The face of death. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, favorite <laughs> scenes. Favorite scenes. Let's go there. Favorite scenes. Uh, let's have everybody throw out one that they really like or two. Uh, I've got, I'll just start with one. I just love the whole tour sequence. The weather's changing. They're in the car. I mean, it just feels like things are going. Don't get me wrong. Everything prior to that, the dinner scene, the, the, the lab thing, all of that top-notch jeff goldblum's throwing 105 in those in those scenes but when we get into the trucks and we're doing the tour business is picked up and we we're we're into it i think you gotta love that scene i i agree i would say uh, there are a couple of scenes like any anytime we see like the dinosaurs for the first time so the the uh God, the the dinosaurs are called something else now. They're called like apatosauruses now. But brontosaurus. When, when, thank you. When you see the uh, brontosauruses for the first time, and he, he Sam Neil turns Laura Dern's head to look at them, that is an all time iconic film scene. Great period. reveal, yeah, great reveal, so good, incredible reveal. That and then the and then the T Rex reveal at night. Um. Uh, f- seeing the water move and seeing his his uh, pupils dilate in the window of the car, that is like a perfect example of of what Steven Spielberg already knows he's very good at, which is like waiting until waiting to reveal your monster. That's yes. like an hour into the movie. Yeah, he waits on, like, he gives you the brontosaurus, he gives you the triceratops, like, he gives you some of that, but he waits on the raptors and waits on the on the T-Rex, and when those reveals happen, like, yeah, we're rolling, man. That, that I mean, they're so impressive, and they're still impressive to this day. 30 years later, it's still so cool. No different than Jaws, right? When the shark yeah. is finally seen in that first moment when you know, uh, Roy Scheider's throwing out the chum and we see the shark's face for the first time. That's when that movie goes to a whole new level. Like it, it goes yeah. from zero to 60 in and like, like less than a half second. I think and it's the super- dread has already been so built up until that point. Like we have had now, when we see the T-Rex, we have now had like several instances of people being like, oh, it's the T-Rex back there. Oh, we see him like eat a cow, but we don't actually see him. 
it's it's building that dread and you know it's coming you know it's going to happen and when you finally see his pupil in the window i feel like that's that sends like chills up my spine every time i see it i I think it's really interesting to me how they frame the the t-rex like the villain like it's the main monster when in reality it's the chekhov's gun and it's it's really interesting that you would never without you know if without really thinking about it you wouldn't consider the t-rex to be the chekhov's gun right but there it is at the end of the movie coming to save the day and be the be the big weapon at the end that that kind of springs everybody free you know this thing that we thought was the big bad ended up saving them from the raptors and it becomes just it it was it's great i love it because I think what what they're trying to say with the movie, and I, I think that they do a really good job at, is that the T-Rex is not a monster. He's, he's not the monster. He's not a monster at all. He's an animal. And throughout the entire movie, they just keep reiterating this fact. Animals are going to do what animals do. This is nature. Um, it's not... They not at, at no point do the characters in the movie villainize the dinosaurs or are, you know, are doing the same thing to maybe jaws. Like we got to blow this up. We got to throw chum in the water. We're going to kill this thing. They're not doing that to the dinosaurs because they know that they're just behaving the way that animals behave. They're not the problem. Their existence on this planet at the same time as us is what's unnatural. That's the problem. I think they're very good about handling that with a lot of care. Other favorite scene for me, Raptor Kitchen. Uh, Just the raptors in the kitchen. I mean, how it's iconic. I mean, you got to love it. Uh, But those raptors in the kitchen jumping on the tables, they remind me of my cats at home, to be really honest. (laughs) Because that's what my cats do. They jump on the table. They do the head thing. They're moving it around the room. (laughs) And it's just like, I feel like my cats do that. My cats are raptors. I try to explain that. But... They're so good of like making the Raptors look menacing. Um, yeah. So I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of that. I thought that was a really cool scene. Uh, that one still sticks out to me as one of my favorites. That's a so, fantastic one. Speaking of iconic, uh, it's time for the iconic Tom Kane fact of the week. Uh, and the special this week, uh, because we are celebrating Tom's retirement. Uh, after a long career at the post office this week, is we're going to do actual facts about the actual Tom Kane. Wow. Congratulations so, to Tom uh, Kane. Congratulations Aww. to Tom. Uh, I know he listens to the podcast, so we're going to throw that shout out. Uh, Lauren, how, long, <laughs> how old was your dad when he started working at the at the post office? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, he was <laughs> young, though, right? He was young, right? He was he was young. It's, he was young. I'm, he, well, he, he was, dodging, well, there his, he was he, dodging raptors on his way to he, getting he, the mail he, dropped off. That's right. how he was worked there his entire adult life. Just uh, a career public servant there for the post office. Uh, just a great guy and uh, happy retirement from the from the Tim Anderson pod and uh, and Peak and Cinema. Pete, here. Our, our friends at Peak Cinema, you bet, absolutely. And remember to get Thank us on a better golf up. team. You know, be, let's get a stronger team next year for the for the four man scramble. Tom Kane. I mean. What are we doing here? Anyway, let's. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't care about that. He just. Wants I know he doesn't to care. Be he's just, he's, all, he's hobnobbing. He's wearing his, You know, he's dressed like an American flag, and you know, it's, I'm gonna. I'm gonna yeah. follow his example next year. I'll be wearing a kilt on the on the course. So uh, playing golf tra- the traditional way. 
I'm also going to follow his example and be completely intoxicated before the round starts. No, I'm just kidding. No, he was not. No, 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 it's not true. That's not true. But I am going to drink more. Uh, this next, I'm going to tell Carrie she might have to come get me next time around. Or Lauren might have to come get us both. I'll, I'll drive, Tim, because I, 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 uh, I stay sober on the course. I stay I sober I usually do too, but I started drinking at that tournament and I had a great time. Anyway... <laughs> I we think that's actually, what that tournament is shot for. like 400 par. We did well as a team. We did, actually, well. we, did, we did do well. It was pretty good. All right. Ryan, favorite scene? Oh, by the way, what's the uh, Tom Kane fact of the week? Is it just the fact that he's retiring or do you have no, something else? That was, that was the fact of the week. Oh, I uh, thought maybe you were going to say like he likes like a barbecue <laughs> chicken or like I thought maybe we were going to drop something in there. Well, I mean, uh, to be fair, uh, the fact of the week would be that Tom is uh, he does like to drink. He enjoys a, 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 a imbibing in the of good beer. Uh, especially, I thought he was a uh, wine guy. Yeah, I thought he was a wine uh, well, and bolognese. From what guy. from what I understand, he he likes a good wine cooler. Uh, but the uh, the the thing that uh, that you want to know is that don't buy him scotch because he won't drink it. No uh, scotch. Ooh. The, uh, okay. Noted. Uh, I'll write that down. He has okay, had. So my the dad would have bo- been. Sorry, my dad would have been nineteen when he started at the post office because he's been 19? there for forty seven years. Wow. Yes. That's a great man of stern run. commitment. That is uh, a great run. But the uh, the only reason I say that is because I, uh, I Lauren and I have been together for 13 years, and I'm fairly certain he's had the same bottle of scotch on top of his cupboard all 13 years. I uh, got it for his 50th birthday. He got like 100 bottles of scotch for his 50th birthday and whiskey and all sorts of – people really think my dad is like an alcoholic. I'm not quite sure why. Um, uh, other, other fact of the week uh, is that uh, – I don't know if he'll remember this or not. The only time I've ever seen Tom notably drunk was at my wedding when he tussled my hair and said I was a good boy. So, well, let's just be clear. Uh, full disclosure: your wedding, there was nine inches of rain that day. Uh, there's not exactly there a lot was. of outdoor things to do, so it was really just drinking and eating chicken parm. Like that's it. I, we so. were the only two sober people at our own wedding. No question about you. I told you you had to be as well. That was the other thing. You couldn't get drunk. Uh, any other favorite scenes? Ryan, um, Lauren? My, any other my favorite scene, uh, I don't know if I've shared one yet, is uh, uh, Nedry uh, at the the organizational lunch oh. where, he, where he's talking about uh, uh, how he's going to help them. Uh, that scene oh, good. is, is, great, is scene. great. I love the fact that he's just laughing the whole time. And I love the, the nobody cares bit. Is uh, Dotson Dotson? Yeah, I just just genius. Uh, I love his I love his bickering with Hammond about pay as well, uh, because he's he's just every tech worker, right? Especially in the nineties, he's just every every guy who works in tech. Just man, I'm underpaid for this shit. I'm I can ruin you guys and, in a minute. I could totally yep. put a virus in you here guys, and ruin you guys. Don't, don't know you this. don't know how to print a PDF. I can do. I I own you, and you should pay me more. Uh, it's just a, that that whole his whole bit is just an advertisement for my job. So they're like horrible hostage takers. Just I, every day, you just feel like every. It's like you know what? Any minute now, we could kill you, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Instead, uh, hey, hey, Anderson, how important I am. Hey, Anderson, you know what? You didn't you didn't say you appreciated me to, uh, me today. So you know what? Your printer access is revoked. Yeah, f off. What do you think of that, pal? <laughs> You need to. Pr- I don't care how many worksheets you need to print. Don't care. Oh, ask somebody oh, else. Send, send them to you somebody else. Your, your ink's out of low on your, your low on toner. The low on toner in the copier. Nah, know, it's gonna be about a week before that gets here. Tell me, I look pretty though. Maybe I'd be a little bit a little bit quicker to get that going for you. Assholes. You get anyway. it. <laughs> Bow before me. 
I wasn't important in high school and I'm important now. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Wayne Knight. Clearly, they just plucked him right out of Seinfeld and said, hey, what you're doing is Newman. Just do that. Like, hey, that uh, was br- it's brilliant, oh, by the way. It's yeah. brilliant. This is, that's exactly who he is. This is a Rick Nelson fact of the week. Uh, <laughs> my dad. Uh, Rick Wayne, Nelson uh, Wayne, definitely doesn't listen to this podcast. No. Uh, Wayne Knight <laughs> looks just like my dad in the 1990s. Uh, <laughs> uh, looks ex- it, like... Exactly like my dad in the 1990s. It's, uh, it's actually remarkable. Uh, and if he, it, my dad got compared to Wayne Knight once in 2004, and he nearly punched the guy. So it's, uh, it has always stuck with me. It has always stuck with me because my dad's adverse reaction to it at first. And then I saw Wayne Knight for the first time, and I went, oh, crap, that does look it, like it, dad. It tracks. <laughs> <laughs> They even had for years. They were the fat guy with the curly white hair with the goatee, like the the, the black goatee and the glasses. Oh. And I'm like, no, dad, dad, dad. Next time be you, you got to yell, Dotson, Dotson. <laughs> See, nobody cares. <laughs> or hello, Newman. You got to do one of those two to him. Anyway, <laughs> any other favorite scenes, Lauren? Uh, I think. I mean, I feel like we've pretty much hit them all. Aside yeah, from. Uh, the Jeff Goldblum, the the dinner scene. Jeff anything Goldblum's, with Jeff Goldblum's anything, yeah. anything. Jeff Goldblum kills every scene he's in. He throws yeah. it 110 in every scene he's in. Just best, best thing. Uh, his best performance to date, as far as I'm concerned. Takes all the oxygen in the room when he shows up. It's just all about yeah. him. Every time he's yeah. in a scene, it's just like whoop. Jeff Goldblum's in the scene. This scene's instantly better. Like Absolutely. that's why they couldn't kill him off. They can't. You. I'm convinced. Yeah. I am convinced. That the whole goal was to kill Malcolm in that scene, and then they were like, "Nah, can't do it." Yeah, can't. I think they keep him alive. I feel like I've heard that fact. I can't say definitively, but I feel like I've heard that fact that the goal was to kill Ian Ian Malcolm because he died in the book or something. I think he does die in the book, doesn't he? I haven't read it. I have to get Zach on it. Zach has read the book. Zach Zach has read it. So, but yeah, and I don't. <clears throat> um, uh, but I I think that. Yeah, I think he was supposed to die, and and they cast this unbelievably charismatic person, and it's like, well, you can't kill him off now. No, now everybody's going to love him. And he's this, like, very, like, just this amazing truth teller, which is ridiculous, because he's, in my brain, he was also a scientist. He's not. He's, like, a mathematician. He's a professor of chaos theory, which is, like, a... Most Nothing re- even. Cl- I'm, I'm not even quite sure why he's there. I guess I don't even know um, what chaos theory is. I've seen the movie a thousand times, and I'm still trying to break it down. I don't know what the hell. I don't know what it is. I don't. He'll I never. He'll never accurately explain it because he just uses it to hit on Laura Dern at several points throughout the film. But that's a hundred percent it. Imperfections I, in the skin. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Not slight, for you, Laura. Very, very not for you, Laura Dern. Not for you, Laura Dern. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, Ian Malcolm, I get it, and I respect the hustle. If I were stuck in a car for three hours with Laura Dern, I'd say the same thing. <laughs> oh, I like it. So, Ian, Mal- anything Ian Malcolm's in, we agree. Ian Malcolm, it's a yeah. great scene. If everything, anything he's in, it's it's worth watching. Um, yeah. Least favorite scenes. Anything before the lawyer uh- died. <laughs> <laughs> I did not like the Lord, but he was, but uh, it, his presence is great, 
because you have Richard Attenborough there, John Hammond there to kind of represent this kind of jolly Walt Disney figure. And you have the lawyer there to remind you, oh, like this is an incredibly sinister thing that people are doing exclusively for money. Correct. And that, yes. that is like his whole goal is money. He showed up because he wasn't sure that it was a good idea. And after seeing what everyone else in the room agreed was a bad idea, he thought to himself, this is how I'm going to make millions. Case in point, the line of the only guy I got on my side is the blood-sucking lawyer. Yes. Absolutely. Great line, by the way. Yes. A fantastic line. And apt. His presence is important. But I agree. I was not happy that he died. Or I wasn't sad that he died. And he had to get eaten on the toilet too. Like that's that's what makes the visual so good. Like he's sitting there and you just get, oh god, it's the best ever. Um, Ryan, least favorite. You said uh, anything that happens before the uh, lawyer yeah, gets eaten. I, I just I couldn't stand the lawyer. I was just making a joke. If I if I had to pick a a least favorite scene, um, I I have to be honest. I I don't love nor do I understand the. Uh, tunnel scene with Laura Dern and how a velociraptor got in there. Uh, it feels like it was poorly explained and I didn't like it. Other than that, there's not a whole lot to complain about this movie. I'm nitpicking, right? So it's, you know, I just, I just like I, every scene in this movie. There's not a whole lot that I don't like. I feel like the only scene I don't like is the one where the little girl gets sneezed on. Yeah. Why? I, why is that there? I, it's just like gross for the sake of being gross. And in, 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 in this movie, too, like, it just feels like so much about this movie is, like, bigger, larger than life. And they're like, you know what else is larger than life? Boogers. Sneezing. It's like, what? And the shit, the big pile of shit. They have to expect the Triceratops uh, pile of uh, shit there because they had to but at figure least, out. At least there's also, like the Triceratops, the Triceratops, you know, butt is, like, three feet off the ground. How is the, it? How is the, how the, is the top is of that pile? And Ian Malcolm, yeah. How is that? How is that happening? Like, <laughs> physically possible? Like that, that's what you're thinking about when you watch. When all you watch of a sudden, you hear, no wonder that Triceratops is laying there sick. It's completely out of gas. That thing was probably working that for a solid hour. I mean, you can't recover from that. Come on. Just sit all the way down and press it out like a can of Barbasol. <laughs> <laughs> oh now i'll tell you what you bring me to my least favorite scene because you mentioned the girl um i've said this before on this podcast i'm going to say it again 99 percent of child actors are the worst i mean they're the pits i mean now the girl is pretty decent actually in this movie i I give her credit i think she's very good i think i'm the only person in the world that actively roots for timmy's death like Tim needs to like this movie would be so much better if he died. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. With you. I pray <laughs> that he gets every time we watch the movie. I'm like, is this the time that he gets electrocuted on the fence and dies? Eh, oh nope. my every God. Time, every time he wakes back up every single goddamn time. And then that he's scene- just a pain in the ass everywhere he goes. He's a pain in the ass. Is it's like, this, shut up. Is this our first movie with the repeat child actor? Joseph Mazzanello or whatever his name is. No, no, no. Ariana Richards. Lex, oh, Ariana. Yes, yes. What was, was she in Tremors? In yes, Tremors. That's oh, right. That's yes. right. Yes. Thank oh, you. Yes. I don't. And think she was great there too. Yeah, so, she was great and, and she's she's the one who didn't have a career. 
Because uh, Joseph Mazzello ended up having a career and she didn't do anything after this. Yeah, Joseph Mazzello sucks. Sucks. (laughs) He sucks. I wish he died in this movie, but he didn't. Damn it. I will say, I do hate that fence scene. It drives me crazy. He's just like got all this time. Like, he's like, if he was like six, I, I think I would understand you know, he's like a six-year-old. He doesn't really understand, like, even though these two people have jumped down, if I jump down, I'll be fine. He's like 11, 12, maybe. Like, get your ass off the fence. What and are just you doing? Drives- blatant disregard for authority. Blatant disregard. <laughs> Everybody tells him, hey, don't fucking crazy. touch that. Don't do that. And he's like, nope, got to touch it. Got to put my hands on everything. Nope, got to do everything. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Oh, Jesus I think Christ. He was- Again, you know I what? think if he was Lauren, like a super I'm, little kid, what? I'm I'm beginning to think Tim doesn't like kids very much. No, I do. I just think uh, they're terrible <laughs> actors. He's a bad actor. It was terrible. This, this feels personal. I do think I'm not sure if that's his fault or if it's the part because I think if the character was younger, then a lot of his actions make sense. The fact that he's 12, I'm like. Get it the fuck together. You Worst I mean? thing that ever happened to Tim's. I mean, seriously, the, the name Tim got <laughs> ruined for a solid decade because of this asshole. I am, I am just, I'm not having it. I won't, I'm he not was, standing for it. He does, he, I can't stand anything he's in. He's the worst. It's the worst part of the movie. Not even close. Not even close. I, I think he was in some uh, other movies too, I'm sure, but. Well, he ruins this movie to me. He ruins this movie for me. Like uh, he, he was in he, the Social Network and in Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh goody! You're kidding oh, me. Oh boy! No. What was he in Bohemian? Well, Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. He was uh, John Deacon. In like the that bass movie. player. Yeah. Really? Uh, he was in Justified. I mean, he's been. In, he was in the Social Network. He was in the Pacific, that kind of World War II show. I'm out. Uh, I'm sure he ruined those too. Yeah. He ruined no. those. He kind of drives me crazy in Jurassic Park. Yeah, he makes me nuts in Jurassic Park. He's the only thing. Like, yeah. I just watch it now, rooting for. Like, I, when he gets electrocuted on the fence, I'm actually like, ha, good. I every time, <laughs> every time now. No, because anyway, he could have. That is a situation that could have been avoided if you. This is this is the thing. Is he bad or is the character written like shit? But everything else is good. Everybody else is good. I know. But when it comes to kids, I feel like movies don't know what to do with them sometimes. You know what I mean? They like don't know how kids behave. They're like 12 years old, six years old. Those are the same. Are they still putting their hands and feet in their mouths? It's like, no. (laughs) Kids kids develop at different stages. But it's okay. (laughs) They like don't know anything, anything under the age of 16. They're like, they're all babies. They're all toddlers, right? That's what I was told. I'll just mute myself. <laughs> all right. And now we're going to do this. <laughs> we're going to move on quickly uh, to let's do anybody else. Any other least favorite scenes? I think that's what we think. We kind of covered them, right? I think that was kind of it. Yeah. Let's do awards. Let's do some awards here. Uh, let's hand some hardware out to the folks here on the uh, Jurassic Park film. Uh, first of all, uh, big win for who? Like, like who wins this movie? Tech guys. Big win for tech. <laughs> big win for tech guys. Big win for CGI. Um, right. Big win for socialists. I believe. Um, 
can pretty, confirm. A pretty big win for socialists. <laughs> <laughs> big win for uh, anti-capitalist rhetoric. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I would argue big just, win for dinosaurs. Huge win for dinosaurs, yeah. right? Like Because they became cool Genuinely. Again. There, apparently there was like an uptick in people majoring in paleontology after this movie came out. And um, I mean, between for me personally, between this movie and Tomb Raider also coming out as a video game around the same time, like I wanted to be an archaeologist so badly. Um, I was like bad at all the things you have to be good at to be an archaeologist. So that didn't happen. But I, I feel like they there was like a weird thing going on in the 90s where they were trying to make paleontology, archaeology, all that kind of stuff pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Big win for nerds. Like it's big a big win, win for, for nerd nerds. culture. Right. Big, big win early in the 90s for nerd culture when bullying was at an all time high. You got to throw the nerds a bone. Like that was yeah. the idea. So I think that's a big win for nerds. Um, big win for uh Glasses of water and jello. I also wrote that down. <laughs> Big win for both. Because every time you'd get in your car and you could have a little glass of water, it was all about, well, can I recreate the the water ripples <laughs> by around the kitchen yeah. table or around something? I, I always thought it was a big win for that and a big win for jello, because the idea was you wanted to be holding the spoon of jello like what's her face and shaking, <laughs> yeah. you know, so big win for those things. Big win for Jello, big win for glasses of water. Probably, probably not a big win for Barbasol. I'm assuming. Yeah, probably. Oh, maybe, maybe not. Cause maybe people were like, although, is that Barbasol just Barbasol or is it holding dinosaur eggs? Although if you were me in the nineties, probably a pretty great win for whipped cream. Uh, because that's what I thought Barbasol was up until like, <laughs> <laughs> like 10 years ago. That is too late. To think that. <laughs> <laughs> he puts you, it, I didn't know what the fuck Barbasol was. And he, you, put, he sprays it out on his hand and he puts it on pie. So for like a very long time, I just just his whipped cream. That would be the joke. I know, that's, clues. Yeah, I the know now. There, but. So uh, you, the you context gradu- clues are that it's whipped school. cream. Okay. You graduated high school 13 years ago. Ever encountered Barbasol? I'm sorry. Were you shaving your face with Barbasol? Yes. Were you shaving your face? Yes. Seriously? Yes. And Barbasol is what I used. I'm a Barbasol guy. Got, I kind of like I've it. Got, I've got Barbasol, a bar- can of Barbasol in the bathroom right now. If you want. Are you sure there. you don't use Barbasol for like your legs or anything like that? You don't use that? Is that what no, you're I don't you're use Barbasol, Barbasol for my for legs. Things? Lauren came back no. of the week. She does use a men's razor. <laughs> <laughs> I do use a men's razor. She does razor. use a Mach 3. They're better. They are better. I completely agree. They're superior. Thank you. But I had, I mean, I grew up with two sisters and a mom and a dad who had a consistent beard. So I yeah. don't. Tom came back of the week. He never shaved that beard. Never shaved. No, no. no. For this thing, that was his post office beard. He said at age of 19, I'm going to start growing this bastard and I'm not going to stop until I retire. So. I don't know what to use, man. I wasn't in my parents' bathroom. <laughs> all right. So big. anybody else gets a big win here? Is it a big win for anybody else? You know, it's a big win for all of us when Laura Dern's in a movie. So we're going to give her a nice <laughs> big win for society. We got a Laura Dern movie. I got to say the biggest winner is Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Doesn't I, Jeff yeah, Goldblum just like win for this real. movie completely? Like it is the just movie for his, that I think just for his career. 
Yeah, I got to yeah. assume that this P parlayed this not just into the Lost World, but also parlayed it into all the kind of commercials and voiceovers and all the stuff that he does now is all about like, well, hey, we need a kind of an eccentric, weird kind of character. Jeff Goldblum, that's the guy we're going to call. Yeah. And I just feel like he he found himself a niche from that moment on that was going to give him work for the rest of his career. And I really yeah. believe that it, it kind of comes from this film. Like, I don't know if Sam Neill really parlayed this into anything else. I don't know if he, you, you can't say like, well, Sam Neill went on a 10 year run of great films. I can't even say Laura Dern did that. Like, but I can say Jeff yeah. Goldblum got consistent work and he'll always be known as Ian Malcolm because yeah. of, you know, like he will be the guy, the first guy we go to. It's a, it's a pretty so. iconic character that I think is something only he uniquely could have done. And he clearly brought something special to it that I think another actor wouldn't have been able to. So I think that he, I agree. I think he wins the movie. I also think that if we're talking about Sam Neill, uh, I don't think he wins the huge box office success, but what he gets is the long series of sustained indie movie success where yes. yeah. Sam Neill was never going to be the big, the big you know, box office guy, but he gets to do all of his little art house stuff. And he's in a, a bunch of, as, with like villain parts or small roles in a lot of some really, really, really great TV series. Uh, he, I mean, he, he plays uh, Cardinal Wolsey in, in the Tudors, which is just such a good, a good show. And he's such a good character in that show. Uh, he's uh, one of the season villains for Peaky Blinders. Uh, I, I think he's season two or three, just a, an elite, elite villain in that show. And he's so good. And he's done that over the course of his career where he's, he's, he's had all these kind of bit parts, TV roles, but that's kind of been his niche and he's really good at it. Got it. I'm with you there. Okay. That sounds great to me. All right. So here we go. Last couple. Let's hustle through these last few. Cause we're already at an hour 30 for goodness sake. Holy smoke. Um, <laughs> Adam Thielen award, the guy who, uh, the underrated great performance from an underrated person. I'm going to have to give it to Muldoon. Like, uh, we didn't even talk about him in this pod, but like Muldoon's character is like this great character. Like we didn't expect him to be good. And yet there he was in every big scene of the movie. Uh, awesome character in this movie. I had to give it to him. I don't know if we're still doing the swing for the fences award, but that's, that would be my. Muldoon that's Adam Thielen's kind of that, right? Where it's sort of yeah. the underrated, the, un, the, the guy who you didn't expect to have a great performance who had a great performance. So for me, that's Wayne Knight, right? I think that, yeah. that Wayne Knight did a great job as kind of, you know, one of the the minor villains of this movie, right? Where this is kind of a, one of those weird movies that just ha seems to have like an act one villain, act two villain, act three villain. Uh, and and he's kind of that act one and does a great job, right? As the, the kind of conniving uh, coward that Nedry is supposed to be. And he, does, he just does a good job. I, I loved his performance. See, my one Dundee award that I would give would be the We Love to Hate Him award. That's Wayne Knight. I feel like every movie he's ever in, or every TV show, he's the guy that like really love that he's in it. Like he's great in Seinfeld. You love Newman, but at the same time, you fucking hate Newman, you know. And, and you know, it's same thing here. Like I love Dennis Nedry. I fucking hate Dennis Nedry. So he's the guy like we absolutely love to hate. So that's why I give him that one. That All stupid right. recording of him looped on the on the computer. That ah uh, 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 you didn't say the magic word. Ah uh, ah, uh, yeah, it's so good. Punch <laughs> the screen. Fantastic. 
<laughs> All right. Who do you got? Any other awards you got there, Lauren? Uh, no, that's I, I would say Wayne Knight is probably mine for that as well. I have a couple of Dundies. Uh, just to fuck around and find out award. Basically everybody in this movie. Um, just for everyone. And then uh, the other one I have is uh, it's just another Tuesday award for Samuel L. Jackson, who is just uncharacteristically calm um, in yeah. the midst of a horrifying once in a lifetime crisis where dinosaurs are roaming free eating people. And he's just sitting there with a cigarette in his hand, yeah. like, all right, you want me to turn all the power off on this island? I can make that happen for you. I have some urgency. I don't know. I'm like, you're a little freaked out. You know, he's like, you know, hang, I got 18, you know, I got a tea time at 430. So, like, if we could just get this day done, that would be great. <laughs> you know, like, let's say we didn't even get a motherfucker out of Samuel L. Jackson. No. We got to hold on to your butts. Like, what the hell? Samuel L. Jackson. Arguably better. Who is- Arguably better. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson is literally known for just yelling in every single part he's ever had. And in this movie, he's just, he looks like he's in the film noir or something. He's just over there, his cigarettes all the way down to the ash. All right, you want me to shut this off? You're, you're waiting yeah. for him to be like a detective all of a sudden. He's like, she walked yes. in. You he's know. like barely in this movie. It like makes no sense that he's even. I know there. we needed more um, Samuel L. Jackson. I agree with you. That's a great. That's a great award. I love that too. We didn't even talk about Samuel L. Jackson in this thing, and here we are. I know. <laughs> There's so much to talk about. Oh my you know, gosh! So he, most movies he's in, he kind of steals the show. You know, he's he's really good at at being the guy that just kind of sucks up all the oxygen on screen. And in this movie, he very much doesn't. It's kind of weird. Yeah, he's very passive. He gives it away. We almost, yeah. we almost could do a part two of Jurassic Park. We almost really could do another hour, but we're not going to do that. Anything else we want to get to before we wrap this up in an hour and 40 minutes? Uh, no, we should probably wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you're going to give me the opportunity just to say one more time that I will watch literally anything Laura Dern is in. Uh, we know. Yeah, yeah. Laura we Dern washes the dishes on YouTube. That Ryan would be the first subscriber he would be just weighing got, on that. I've got a playlist of her interviews, just like hearing her talk. That's disgusting. You're I'm a kidding. terrible human I'm being. Kidding. This is not even a good pod anymore. That's this obsessive. is so bad. No, I'm just so we're going to take this offline. we got to figure out what we're going to do next. My thanks to Lauren. My thanks to Ryan. Once again, Spotify, Apple Podcast, timpodcast.podbean.com if you want to listen to all the archives. And you can also subscribe to us on Apple, uh, Apple Podcast. Again, like, subscribe, leave a comment, say things nice, spread it out, share it. Please do that. We would appreciate it. And then we'll be back again really, really soon for another episode of Peak Cinema. So till next time, for Lauren, for Ryan, this is Tim saying keep your head up, and we'll see you.